Awesome. Um, so we're starting a new series uh, called We Are Family, and I get to work with a lot of the kids, and especially the middle school students here, and, you know, Lori said they were going to video a few kids. They said who it was going to be. And I'm like, those answers are on par for each of those kids. Uh, James Farmer, if you're watching, you have to show me how to fight. And good luck with your daughter chasing boys. So, <laughs> but yes, my name is Josh. I am the Generations Pastor here, one of the pastors on staff. And we get to start off this series called We Are a Family. And I want to preface our series this way. Sometimes when we talk about family... It can bring a lot of emotions. Sometimes they're great. The nostalgia, the memories that you have in your family. And sometimes um, family can also stir up some things that maybe aren't as pleasant. Uh, Sometimes your families are just basically ordinary. Sometimes your families are like over the top. How are you able to do all this? And sometimes your families put the fun in dysfunctional. But whatever your family structure is, God has a word for you today. God has a word for me. He is going to use this series over this next month. And we're going to see what it looks like to be in God-honoring family structures, friend groups, relationships, in all of these things. How can we honor God in the places that he has put us in? So when I think about families, I think about family pictures. This is one where uh, when I was growing up, my mom would always tell us, okay, if you're sick, great, you know, we'll, we'll get a sick day here and there. You're never missing picture day. Whatever was going on, I don't care, you know, how you look, you're not missing picture day. Because my family didn't grow up taking a lot of pictures. So there were some where I'm like, okay, everything looks good. And then there were some where I probably should have missed picture day, or at least, you know, just said not pictured. But that was our rule in the house. And I think today, um, you know, my wife and I have had some conversations saying, we want to make sure that we're intentional about getting pictures with our family. You know, we take kids, um, our our kids are two and a half and almost one. We take pictures of them all the time. And and sometimes we get them done. And then sometimes like, let's just take pictures on our own. That was the case for our Christmas card this year. We're like, let's take our own Christmas pictures. And we had this idea. Here's what we're going to do. Can we show that that first picture? This was one of the ones that, that made the Christmas card. We're like, great. Put them up by the tree. That's Lincoln and Avery. We were so excited when we got that picture. But that wasn't the only picture we got. In fact, um, it took us like multiple days to get the right pictures because they weren't actually um, doing what we wanted them to. Most pictures were like this. Um, Lincoln was playing with whatever was underneath the tree. Oh, I love Avery. Um, But yes, she was not having it in that moment. But sometimes um, I wonder, what would happen if we sent out a Christmas card with all the second pictures there. You know, there's that expectation. We expect the first picture. But reality is most of the time we're not like that first picture. What would happen if we started being real with our second pictures? If we started sharing that more on our Facebook and Instagrams? What if we started sending out those cards? People would be like, wow, what's going on over there? But at the same time, How can we say, no, we're being authentic. We're being real. We're not trying to put on that front. Um, There's a a movie right now. It's called Encanto. If you have kids, you've probably seen it at least 50 times. But this movie is all about families. In fact, um, there's a a song in it that just says, it pushes against trying to be perfect and being real. And later on, um, there's a small line in one of the songs that almost goes by unnoticed. And it says, um, they're talking about the house. And one of the characters says, it isn't perfect. And then the main character says, but neither are we. 
for so long, they've tried to put on this front of we're the perfect family. We have these abilities. Look what we're able to do in our community. And they just had to be real and say, this is what our family actually looks like. What would it look for us to do that as well? To say, this is who we are, flaws and all. Because sometimes we try to put on that first picture look, whether that's at school, in the drop-off line, at our work, at church. But sometimes we just need to be real, especially before others and before God, and say, no, this is who we really are. God, I'm not going to hide from you. You know my reality. But when we just go to God and we're up front, when we go before others and we're up front about who we really are, man, God really works through that. And we see him do that in amazing ways. And for scripture today, we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, right away, very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. There's some Bibles around the room if you want uh, to grab one of those and follow along. But before we go into the word of God, we're going to go before him and pray. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me? God, we thank you so much that we can gather together in your name today. Lord, you have put us in unique families, friend groups, different relational systems. And God, we ask today that you show us who we need to be in those to share your love. God, this is your house. We are your people. And today we just say, speak. Your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you are following along in your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Otherwise, it will be up on the screens. And the passage starts with this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. And he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave them names to all the livestock, all the birds of the air, all the wild animals, but, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now this explains why man will leave his family and his, his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one. Now the man and the woman were both naked but they felt no shame. We're in Genesis chapter 2 right here. There's not much that happens before this in the Bible but if we do jump back one chapter we see God's original design for creation. We see that God makes everything. You know, God's creating, he creates light and says it's good. He creates um, land, water, uh, animals, birds, good, good. He says after he creates something, it's good. And then in fact, he looks at after six days and rests on that seventh day, uh, that, that chapter one says he takes a step back and looks at everything he made and said it was very good. Now we're a few verses into chapter 2, but we see something here. That Adam, he's the only man. 
unlike anything else in creation. It says that, that everything else came before, and God said, mm, that's right, man is, man is here, and there's other things, but nothing is like him, the one I made in my image. There was no one else like that, and it shows us something very important, that God created us for community. God created us for community. At this point, yes, there were animals, but there was no real community for Adam. In fact, we can learn something else here, that we weren't meant to be alone. Because God said, hey, okay, I'm noticing something. Nothing is like Adam. This is happening. This is happening. There's this person, but everything in chapter one was good. Now we see something in verse 18. Going back to that, it says, then the Lord said, it is not good. Everything before was good, but now we see God say, something isn't good. The fact that Adam was alone. The fact that Adam had no suitable partner to do life with him. Isolation is not good. Being alone is not good. Having no one is not good. I don't want to get political here, but on a purely social standpoint, we are still seeing the effects of isolation um, from the beginning of COVID-19. When we look at the, the trends, we see that mental health rates they're really going up. Um, counselors are busy all the time. I was talking to a, to a counselor the other day. He said, we still don't even know the full effects um, that, that this will have on our, our society. We see that consumption of alcohol and drugs and things like that went up. Trauma, stress, all of these things are increased, including suicide and suicide attempts. Because of isolation and distance, we weren't meant for that. But we are still seeing what is going on in our world today. But I love how we were trying to be creative in the beginning of this. You know, after everything happened, uh, how many of you, raise your hand, if you did like a Zoom call with family or friends just to stay connected with people? Okay, um, or, or this one, I remember our neighbors would, would text people uh, that had like conjoining backyards and they'd say, um, bring out your lawn chairs. And we'd all sit in our backyards in lawn chairs all distance and just having that connection. We were just needing that relationship. And sometimes we have to make it work in different ways. My family lives back in New York. So I remember that Thanksgiving, that very first Thanksgiving after. And my parents, um, they made meals and packaged them all up. And my siblings came and picked, every, uh, picked up the meals. And, and we all jumped on a Zoom call. But my family did lunch and they did dinner. So for about an hour, we just sat there on Zoom and watched them eat. It was the most awkward thing. We're trying to make connections with them and they're, you know, they're talking between bites, but that was what we needed to do to build that community again, to have that relationship. It was totally awkward, but it, it filled our buckets because we were still together. Now, when we go back to, to Genesis chapter one, God creates Adam and we read an, an interesting verse. It says that God said, um, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry on the ground. We learn something about God. When God says us here, he isn't referring to the birds and the, the animals scurrying. In fact, one thing that makes us unique as Christians is that we believe that our God is three in one. We sang it earlier. Um, blessed Trinity. 
God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as one God. God is in union with himself. God himself is in community. So we learn that if God is in community and we were made in his image, we were made to be in community as well. So God intends for us to be in community. We say this to our middle school students all the time. Faith, Christianity, is not a solo sport. Your faith is not a solo sport. We are doing this together as a team. I was reading a commentary about this, and it said something very interesting about Adam. It said that Adam never complained about being alone. It's almost like he didn't realize it, which a lot of the women are like, yeah, guys don't really realize much. But Adam at that point didn't realize that he didn't have someone like him because he was in community with God already. But we look and God realizes that Adam needs someone. So he, he creates, in this translation, it says helper. Others say a suitable helper. But the, the Hebrew says the ezar kenegdo, which means um, a helper. But it goes deeper than just someone who helps along, someone who tags along. In fact, some translations would go so far as to say a co-worker or a co-laborer someone to do life with, someone to share the burden with, someone who walks alongside of. So Adam, while he had all these animals and everything here, he had no one to walk alongside of in life. So God changes that. Now, there are a lot of different ways to do community together. When we talk about community as a whole, you can find community in many different ways. Uh, if you like video games, you can find a, a Discord server where you're, you're connecting with people who like that same video game. If you follow a sports team, like if you're at a game, let's say you're at a Griffins game and your team scores, you're high-fiving people when the Griffins score that you probably have never met before, but you're in community because you share that same bond. If you, uh, if you like the same music, like metalheads, they all, um, they associate by that term, but they all have the same interest in music. Um, even just so far as the way that people work out the same, like CrossFit, I'd say that might be borderline cult because you see it on their cars and hoodies and all that, but I'm just kidding. Uh, if you work out that way, I apologize to you, but you can find community in that way as well. Now with Adam and Eve, they started building community together and they just didn't stay community members. <laughs> if they stayed community members, we wouldn't be here today. But God shows us another type of relationship that we need because God created us for relationships, deeper relationships than just community. In fact, community can help lead us into relationships. When we take that hole and we start to get to know people beyond just a similar interest, but now we have similar passions and hobbies and things like that, we can start diving deeper in. Imagine uh, when you started dating someone for the first time. When you're in that get-to-know-you phase, you start going out and having conversations. You dive deeper uh, into who they are, the things that you love about them, the things that you pretend to love about them because you're still really new in that relationship. These are the things that they start pushing you to know more. They start helping the relationship grow. I remember uh, my wife still has this story of the first time that I was introduced here at Livestream. She has this beautiful story of how she saw me up on stage, and, and there was a lot that happened um, in, in the meantime. But we were friends for a long time, and then finally something clicked. It was like Adam, how he didn't realize that he was lonely. Like sometimes God just needs to smack you outside the head and say, hey, 
Look what's right in front of you. Um, I think that's the message translation. But anyway, sometimes when we talk about relationships, there's that process of diving deeper and deeper and deeper to get to know someone. But one relationship that we were naturally born into is family. If you've had a child, when you hold that child for the first time, you've never like met them before. But there is something in you that just says, I love you. God puts us into original family structures called family. I'd say take a second to think about family, but for some of us, uh, it takes more than just a second to think about everyone in your family. We have a joke here at the office. I have my mom's side, dad's side. Anytime I talk about siblings, um, they tell me to pull out the diagram. But some of us, uh, when we look at our families, it takes a few minutes to, to think about everyone because there's different family structures. There's different dynamics that play into family. Know this, that no matter what your family looks like, God, God had a different plan for your family. In fact, our original family structures were perfect. In God's perfect world, family structures were perfect. But unfortunately, if we look one chapter ahead, we start to see the fall. And because of that, broken relationships come into play. Broken relationships with God and broken relationships with others. And sometimes our families work and they get it right. And yes, there's some brokenness, but we can work through that and we grow together. And other times we get so caught up in our brokenness that our family structures fail. Relationships take work. Sometimes there are seasons where it comes natural and sometimes you are fighting harder than you've ever fought before to keep it going. Relationships take love. Why do you think God made us in the first place? We see all throughout scripture, this is one big love story that God writes us into it. And after the fall, he could have easily scrapped it and said, let's start over. But because he loved, he creates a way. We see all throughout scripture that God operates out of love. But then we look at Jesus and when it comes to family. Now, Jesus says some pretty radical things when it comes to the term family. In fact, if we look uh, to Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles and want to jump there, otherwise you can follow along on the screens. I just want to read a few verses from Matthew 12, and it says this. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Jesus told someone, your mothers and brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says something really radical here. In fact, um, he starts off just by asking a rhetorical question like, Obviously, he knows his mom. Like, he knows Mary. He knows his brothers. They followed him. They, there, was a, there was a little bit of a, a rhetorical question going on here just to make people think. But Jesus also gives a new definition of family. Jesus redefines family. Now, we need to understand context a little bit to see how radical this actually was. In biblical society, family was everything. 
Like this was a patriarchal society. Everything happened from your father's bloodline. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't last names like we have today. You were the son of the son of. You could trace back your lineage. Bloodlines were important. And in fact, the things that your father did could be passed on to you, whether it was good or bad. It's almost like the Godfather. You don't go against the family. What is that? Like Michael Corleone, when he's, he's talking with Fredo, he's like, hey, don't take sides against the family. That wasn't done in Bible times. They had a very strong family society. But Jesus pushes back at that. He says, I'm going to give you a new definition of family. In fact, we see that, that those who follow Jesus, there's a term in the New Testament, um, Adelphos or Adelphoi. It means the same thing as brothers. Those who follow God were given that same term as brothers, just as family was. So Jesus is saying here, if you follow him, if you follow the will of the Father, you are invited into the family. But that means something for us. If we say yes to the Father, we're now family. You're sitting beside brothers and sisters. And you might say, yes, I get that. But as a church, that means we need to act like family. It means we need to play the part of family. Unfortunately, it's not like, man, I love the Father, but I can't stand my siblings. There might be times where we don't get along. But for the sake of family, sometimes we need to work through things. We need to push through things. Jesus tells us throughout Scripture, we need to love one another, not keep records of wrongs, forgive one another, call each other out when someone is doing something that's wrong. If we actually believe that Jesus is calling us to a new definition of family, we need to act like family. Now, going back to Genesis chapter 2, we see that there is another relationship that we are called to. And in Genesis chapter 2, as you grow deeper in relationships, as you continue to grow, God calls us to oneness. God calls us into oneness. Now, you might be thinking that's kind of like an oxymoron, community and oneness, but we need to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and it says, this explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Some translations um, will say joined together. Uh, but when we go back to the Hebrew here, the word um, for, for join, the root is debak. Everyone say debak. As we talk about families, I thought dad jokes, and the first thing that came to my mind was like debak and de front. But as we, thank you. Okay. <laughs> as we talk about relationships, God calls us deeper to be joined together now. In Hebrew, yes, it means joined together, but it also means to cling to, to draw close to. Sometimes we think of joined together as forced together, but when we cling to someone, when we are close to someone, it doesn't always mean we get along, but it means that we are fighting to make this work that there is a mutual togetherness. Adam and Eve were joined together. And this wasn't just in body, but now they were joined together in partnership, doing life together, brought together in spirit, in communication, in connection. There was such a depth because God 
put them together. You know, in, in the, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four, uh, you'll hear a passage at uh, a lot of weddings. That's all about the, hey, two, 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 two can help each other up. Two can keep each other warm. But then it ends in an interesting way and says, but a three-chord strand is not easily broken. We see two this whole time, but then we see three. And if we're talking about marriage, we always know it's two. But then we see three, and we see what God actually means. Is that when he is that third strand, when he is that third cord, when a relationship has God in the middle, how strong is it then? With Adam and Eve, when God was in the middle doing life community with them, man, how strong is that cord? Now we said earlier that relationships are broken because we're in a broken world. But when we invite God into that relationship, when we say, God, even in our brokenness, even in the times that we're, we're struggling, we're fighting, we don't always get it right, we're just off. God, we need you to give us strength in this, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a family group, or a friend group. I remember uh, in, in college, some of the guys I, I still keep connected with, we had an accountability group, and, and there were about four of us, and we just opened up about so much. And it's not just like, hey, we're, we're sharing everything that's going on because, oh, we feel guilty, but because we knew that God was in the middle, that God could use us to help bring growth. When we invited God into that, man, God was able to do some amazing things. We learn that God redeems any relationship that we are in. God can redeem any relationship. He can redeem community. He can redeem broken relationships, broken friendships and marriage. He can show us what it means to be one in a relationship when he is at the center of it. But that means we need to start saying, God, we invite you into this. God, we need you to give strength because on our own, we're going to struggle. In fact, there's a, a, a late theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He gives us a warning about community, and he says this. The person who loves the dream of community will destroy community. But those who love others around them, they'll create community. When we come into a relationship with our expectations with a, hey, this is what you can give me out of this. When we go into a marriage saying, this is how you can love me. This is what I want. When we go into a friendship or a work relationship saying, this is what you can do for me. That's not a relationship. That's more of a contract. But when we say, God, show me what it means to love others the way that you love me so that I can love them <laughs> in the most brokenly perfect way possible. That's when we see God strengthen those relationships. When we talk about family, no matter what our family structures, we can see that God can still redeem. God can bring strength when we say, God, I invite you into this. And right now, uh, we're about to enter a time of communion, but I want us to be thinking about something. If there's a relationship where you are not inviting God into that you need to, as we go to the Lord's table as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you just need to go to him and say, okay, God, I need to invite you into my marriage. 
I need to, to invite you into this relationship with one of my siblings because we just don't get it right. God, I need to invite you in a relationship with someone sitting in this room right now because we're still not acting like family or someone at work or someone at school. Whatever that relationship is where you need to say, God, be that third cord. Give strength. Show us what it means to see redemption in a relationship. And God, may we go together as family, united in one, because you are in the middle of it.